Hi, I'm Bhushan Kumar, and you're listening to HP Hose. Hi, I'm Eliza Power, and you're listening to HP Hose. Hello, and welcome to HP Hose, a spin-off from the producer of the podcast is mine. I'm your host, Bhushan Kumar, and each week I'll be joined by one of my favorite people in the world to discuss some of my favorite shows on the box. This episode, we are discussing a show that has touched, or should that be fingered, a nerve everywhere. To kick things off, we are also hosting our first ever collaboration with one of our favourite podcasts. So my co-host today is a writer, producer, actress, and also the co-host and producer of The Witchery, a podcast about the true horror behind your favourite scary movies. And let me tell you, it's well, if you love film and you love horror film, why is it not on your roster already? You need to be listening to it. Welcome to Eliza Power. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Yay! so thrilled. Yay! <laughs> We've been, you've been talking about doing something for so long, so I'm so yep. glad it's finally manifested it into existence. So exciting. I'm so grateful of all the things you could have invited me to chat about. I mean, this had to be it. This had it to be ha- it. I mean, your background in horror is going to serve us very well because what we're <laughs> going to talk about has become a horror show first. <laughs> but before we jump into that, um, can you tell us a bit more about The Witchery? So if, if there's for those hoes who haven't listened to it and need to go and listen to it after they listen to this, what give us the elevator pitch for The Witchery. Well, for all you hoes who like horror, it's definitely the one for you. So it's it's hosted by myself and my good friend Jess Coombs. Um, I'm in London. She's in Joburg. And we delve into the true horror behind horror movies. So it can be either the true stories that have inspired them. So, for example, if you've got something like Psycho, it's the serial killer who inspired the story Psycho, Ed Gein. So we talked about him. Yeah, or you can have things that happen on set. For example, we're about to do an episode on Poltergeist. And, of course, lots of horrible things, um, murders, deaths, all sorts of strange occurrences are linked to Poltergeist, to the film. So the filming of it. So it's it's those sort of things. It's the little little spooky stories, the true stories that inspire or take place during horror films. Oh my God, like Poltergeist is a laxative for me. That film is so scary. Just like, even now <laughs> I can't is. watch it. It's just it, like, I don't know is. how you're going to do a rewatch. It's just too much. It's like, what? I know. And it's also just the fact that the um, Dominic, Dominique Dunn, the actress in it, was brutally murdered by her boyfriend not long after. The lead oh, actress, Heather O'Rourke, the little girl, died of some very, very strange and rare um, sort of gastro disorder that she had, like a bowel disorder. Uh, it was just horrendous things that are connected to this film. So many deaths of people who worked on set. Oh, it's just there's a lot. So you do get these things with horror. There's, there's always um, some spooky story lurking around the corner. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, do you know, we are going to link it in our episode notes. It's going to be on our socials and we are going to be listening. If you haven't already listened, I mean, some of my favourite. Yeah, you've got you've got to listen. It's just so much fun. And yeah, well, it's fun and it's scary as well. Like it's it's not a laxative, but it is. scary. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to make you, you crap yourselves, guys, but hopefully you will enjoy it. But take you to the brink. <laughs> yeah, take you to the brink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'll need to cross your legs, maybe. That'll be it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Alrighty. Well, speaking of horror, I think it's time, Eliza, for us to move on to today's topic. So I'm going to, I'm going to take it to the bridge, if that's okay with you. Do it. So last year, when a revival of Sex and City was announced, it was a moment of joy in a very, very dark time. And when we heard it was going to be called And Just Like That, our excitement knew no bounds until we saw the first episode uh the fuck happened sis like (laughs) what and just like that we knew we had to discuss and just like that so eliza i mean oh my god we we are doing the lord's work here we've got so much to talk about and like you know after every i mean just very quickly before we get into it i remember everyone i've spoken to has had an emotional response to this question (laughs) every time (laughs) you're the first question i'm gonna ask you and our conversations post every episode what was really weird was um multiple like I was literally manning the helpline for after each episode (laughs) everyone was sliding into my dms like what is going on what is happening (laughs) so Eliza let's let's kick off what the hell happened with and just like that it was like (laughs) someone (laughs) from sec who had worked on sex in the city was just like they downloaded twitter in their brain had a massive panic attack and nervous breakdown and decided that they had to get everything that they saw on Twitter into Sex and the City. So everything that's been building up, arguments over so many social constructs or deconstructs, anything like that, they had to get it all and shove it in a show that already was pretty much 
two-dimensional at best. It just, it's like it broke the seams. It couldn't contain itself. It exploded. Yeah, absolutely. It, that is that is a perfect summary. <laughs> I mean, that that is in a tweet exactly what it was. It, it was just madness, wasn't it? It was just like, especially that first episode where I, I know we were all hyped and we were all really excited, but it was, you know, the sat nav is telling you to go straight ahead. And this just went, no, 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 we're going to take a U-turn and we're going to go all the way back. <laughs> like all the progress that we've made we're going to just go back on because who needs progress I mean I still remember in that first episode when Miranda goes to the class for the first time and meets her, her professor oh yes that was oh god that was so utterly horrendous it was like it reminded me of that episode that truly abysmal episode from I think like series three or mm. possibly four where um where Samantha starts dating the record exec, the really handsome record exec. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, and they go to the sister's restaurant and it's all this kind of race war thing, but it's the way it's done. And she starts talking, and this is a quote from Sex and the City, black talk, that is not a term I would use. I'm taking that from Sex and the City. And she starts, you know, saying things like whack and you sit there going, oh my God. And that was in what, the year 2000? That was cringe. They've done it now, but from the other so it, they've made it even cringer with that oh, scene. It was just so bad. Do you, I, do you know, it's talking about that that episode with Samantha. It was so funny. I remember when the, um, she is it in the club or something. Someone says to her, get your tight white pussy out of my face. And she's like, get your big black ass out of my face. Oh, my God. <laughs> I remember watching that being like, oh, wow. They've just, they've gone a bit too far. <laughs> I was just horrified by that. Yeah. I have to say, even back then when, I mean, as inappropriate as that was, the way it was handled was kind of like through a New York lens I felt like that's something that a New York a native New Yorker or someone who lived in New York that's how they would behave and like although now we know that to be appropriation it would it it didn't come across as badly as the current one like like as that scene with Miranda and the professor came across I mean that was just so oh cringe I I was literally I'd been to Pilates that day so my abs were hurting but oh my god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like even in more pain. Well, I think the thing about Sex in the City always is that they never, sometimes you would get elements of them punching down, but they would generally punch across. So they'd be punching at people of their own status or punching mm-hmm. up. So sometimes they would punch down. You can't say that they didn't, but that the, the no. best comedy lands when you're either punching across or punching up but you start punching down and in a way the way Miranda was treating that incredibly intelligent incredibly articulate incredibly beautiful woman it was like she was punching down she was patronizing her so much as if she she just already sort of automatically assumed the situation before it even happened which is really reductive and I just and I just thought it was really it was actually so insulting I didn't find Samantha's um, episode anywhere near as, as problematic as this one was. I was just like, God, just from afar, just goggle-eyed, couldn't believe what I was watching. It was so bad, wasn't it? And then also, like, you could see um, all the students, I mean, obviously they're all actors in the room, but it just seemed like even they were, like, cringing. Everyone went method then. <laughs> no one needed to act because it was just kind of like, what is this show? Can you imagine they probably got, like, papers for another, they thought, it was, they didn't know it was, like, the revival of Sex and City. And then afterwards, when they see themselves on the screen, they're like, oh my god, we were part of this? This is oh, dreadful. No. This is going down in history. Is the worst mistake I've ever made. <laughs> oh, goodness. And speaking of bad mistakes, so that's what I've got to say. If anyone listening has not seen the entire series, we are going to be talking and referencing plot points and spoilers, etc. So if you haven't seen it, please uh, come and revisit us when you've had a chance to look at it. But I'm going to give away the big plot point, which I think a lot of people knew. We've got to talk about big. Oh, God, there is so much to unpack there from reality as well as fiction. So let's start with the fiction first. First of all, why did she not call an ambulance straight away? I know. So I read, okay, I read an article um, about Sarah Jessica Parker and she's just been progressively pissing me off more and more with each interview <laughs> I read, but I'm still reading them because I'm obviously a masochist. But in, she was talking about how, no, everyone's really interpreted this incorrectly. It was all supposed to sort of represent three or four seconds of time. It's like when time stands still. And I went, no, 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 that we actually watched this time this wasn't slow motion not all of it some of it tiny bit was but a lot of it was real time where she was just fucking faffing over him in the shower getting her shoes wet they were focusing on these damn Manolo Blahniks getting soaked I mean they're beautiful shoes they shouldn't have been in the shower but we'll let that slide no there should have been trigger warning for that I'm sorry yeah I couldn't deal with that because I'm like those shoes are, are just immaculate no but 
the fact that it was in real time, she was just like pulling him about and just lifting him against the wall. And then he was for, and this went on for about 30 seconds, 40 seconds, a minute, two minutes. I don't know, but it, she could have called a bloody ambulance. Can you imagine like being a surgeon and being like, oh, well, actually I was operating in like, you know, <laughs> it wasn't real time. I was only operating in like four <laughs> seconds. And it's like, uh, no, every second counts. And then also if he hung on for her because, you know, how romantic, suddenly Big's gone romantic on her, could he not <laughs> dial the ambulance as well if he was hanging on? I know that that's the thing. He was positioned against the wall. And of course, I've never touched wood, ever had a heart attack and haven't witnessed anyone who has, thank goodness. So I can't imagine mm-hmm. what it's actually like in reality. It must be horrific. But I thought if he was breathing and lucid and able to hold himself up against the wall, I mean, in that apartment, there seemed to be phones everywhere. Was there any way he could have got to a phone in that time? Didn't he have a phone in his hand? Because like on the Peloton or something. Yeah. Isn't, there, isn't there a phone on the Peloton? I don't even know. I need to ask my friend who works at Peloton. There must be a phone in that Peloton bike. There's everything else in it. Um, oh God. Yeah, no, Peloton he, aren't having the best time, are they? <laughs> oh, they're not. I did, I did text her, actually. My friend, Sean. Hey, Sean. Works for Peloton. And so when that happened, I immediately messaged her like, oh, bet you didn't see that coming when they thought they were getting the fun advertising and then big dies on the Peloton. Oh, my word. And then, and like, you know, that I mean, that wasn't shocking enough. Um, and that's right in the first episode, right at the end of the first episode. So, you know, we go through the whole, like, Lily's amazing concert. Um, and Lily's like a hero and we'll come to her later on. But um, yeah, and then but then three days later, after that uh, episode aired, we found Chris North was trash. Like a lot of people had said before that he was trash, but now it really came into the mainstream, didn't it? It was like really in the news that like all the awful things that he's done off screen. Horrendous. Uh, he's officially been cancelled. He's like a, a a sort of a mini Weinstein or, or Polanski and or, or Woody Allen or Bill Cosby or he's he's going towards that that level now of sexual predator of course the thing we have to say is it's all alleged yes everything is alleged and yeah but but also this is something that I do try and remember about everything is I always believe women first first and foremost because why would you lie about that but also there have been instances of people creating stories you know and and lying about it so you also have to remember that too I you know my personal thing is I believe that Chris Noth did the things he did but you have to have some level of balance there when we don't know when things haven't gone to court when he hasn't been arrested um he has been officially cancelled there is that element of it can be a bit disturbing someone's cancelled before they've actually been tried in a court yeah things happen a lot and so this is why we do need some balance there but i i already heard rumors about chris noth for a long time before this came out so it was it was a surprise but not an entirely huge surprise that's the perfect way to describe it it was something that we it was like harvey weinstein when every we all if you worked in the entertainment industry you heard about harvey weinstein you knew what he was like and it was almost like a, it was a running kind of like anecdote wasn't it like oh you don't yeah. want to be like Harvey you know you don't want to be in a room alone with Harvey Weinstein so when that news came out yeah like you said it wasn't a shock and but yeah with Chris Noth as well and then like you know there were there were stories before but like this I think the timing of these two stories really brought it to our attention and I agree with you like you know sometimes we should oh, it is alleged but yeah there ain't sometimes there ain't no um, smoke without fire and I think no. is that right or is it fire without smoke smoke without fire there's no smoke without fire smoke without fire um, <laughs> you're right right <laughs> first sure. time no right. but you're right you're right and the thing is with with chris noth i ne- i did never imagined it would be le- sort of rape allegations i knew he was supposed to be a bit creepy mm-hmm. and that he was probably going to grope you or something like that because i'd read things on gossip sites you know mm-hmm. do moi and stuff like that yeah. but i didn't honestly that that did come as a surprise that it was a uh, full sexual assault allegations that was quite horrifying yeah, not nice to hear at all mm-hmm. and then subsequently he obviously he got um edited out of uh the remaining episodes and apparently he was meant to come in a dream sequence uh, in paris and thank god mm-hmm. he didn't because well actually he should have they should have kept him in just to see carrie's awful dress which we are gonna come to uh, that valentina which everyone was raving about the big orange one with the oh the, the croissant <laughs> the croissant with the pink marigolds and everyone's like oh she's beautiful and i was just like no no it's horrendous it looks like someone's just got um, one of those American jail jumpsuits and just sort of blowing it up like a Michelin man like in a big air balloon or something it's just awful it's like terrible 
a project runway kind of reject, isn't it? Like, yes. <laughs> you know, you've got to re- you've got to bl- glam up these like orange jumpsuits, and they're like, you know, <laughs> they made, you know, they made a parachute dress out of it. But, oh my um, word! But yeah. uh, well, the thing that I heard though, I'm not sure, but it could be interesting. A few people have said now, either on in gossip columns or you know on social media, not that you can believe all of this, that actually Big was supposed to appear in other flashback scenes. So if you notice, the episodes are all very strange lengths, and some of them are much much shorter than others. They're all, I think, they were estimated previously to be around the forty five minute mark, and yeah. some of them are at half an hour. And there are rumours that a lot of footage has been cut quite badly, which is possibly the reason things aren't as coherent as they should be and that there were the odd flashback moments of her and Big but that were filmed obviously specifically for this season mm-hmm. that they've had to remove so there could be even more footage of, of, of Big that's kind of caused the, the issue with and just like that because it's been removed it's been removed but having said that I do think you know I was listening to the writers room podcast um, mm. and it does sound like they were on crack they were on premium <laughs> like high quality not any crack Marks and Spencer's crack like you know really good stuff <laughs> <laughs> because some of the stuff they were talking, do you know when you were saying earlier it was like Twitter exploded in a room or something that is exactly what that podcast sounded like it sounded like everybody was sat around a table and they were like oh wouldn't it be fun if Carrie does this and then someone else was like you know I think Carrie should fall over and do this and someone else was like I think we should see Carrie on the toilet and someone else we should and they've just put everything in like thrown everything in the kitchen sink in and <sighs> You know, so I don't know, like, even if we did see those big flashback portions, you're right in terms of the duration, and that's really interesting. I wonder, though, like, would that have made any difference? Or, you know, were the writers just already so high that... (laughs) I think it still would have been abysmal, because the thing is, it's like they're trying to undo the crimes that they think were committed by Sex and the City, that weren't crimes, they were of the time. The Mm. the chief things, I think, that were even wrong about Sex and the City when I watched it was there was not enough diversity. You never saw amazing actresses like Angela Bassett turn up in big cool roles it was predominantly you know white American actresses it was mm-hmm. and the way sort of the LGBT community were represented was very one-dimensional and very magazine-like and very comical so there were the two big things that yes we all would have wanted to see resolved in and just like that but it's like they just took the baton and just ran into the sea with it a sea of petrol and everything exploded they literally created a huge bonfire no sorry to interrupt you know you just reminded me of something it made me think uh, you know like um sometimes if you did like homework and you were like um you know i can't be bothered to write another essay so i'm just going to submit an old essay like i did this in you actually did this in uni once where um i um, I love it. Which which teacher did you do that for? Which lecture? Do you remember Ingo, Doctor Ingo? Dr. Ingo loved Gildenhard. Ingo, oh, Ingo, Ingo Gildenhard. And um, so just for context for everybody, Eliza and I met at university and we were on the same course with classicists. So if you're a classicist, make some noise right now. Um, <laughs> and uh, we had a really amazing teacher. Was he German? I think he was from Germany, wasn't he? He was German. Yeah, he was. German. He was lovely, really Dr. intelligent, lovely guy. Dr. Ingo, he was brilliant. And um, I think what it was one of our first essays or something, and I just couldn't be, uh, I think at that time, because obviously first year we were all like high as kites and that's running around and really excited. So I didn't do an essay or something. So I had like an A-level essay, which, you know, I'd got really good marks for. So I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to submit this. And <laughs> then he like called me and he said, um, this is very A-level standard. And he said like, you know, this is not how you want to start out. You want to kind of up your game a little. And I was like, oh dear, I got rumbled. But this is what I feel like this script was. It felt like it was a script for the third film. And they were like, do you know what? We can't be asked to write new episodes from scratch. So what we're going to do is we're just going to cut this into 10 and then just see what, <laughs> what sticks. <laughs> think that i think you're entirely right because there were rumors i remember when sarah jessica parker was banging on as she always does being passive aggressive the way she brings kim cattrall into every interview she ever gives about the fact that they had this beautiful heartbreaking script for the third film and i remember when they said heartbreaking i was like big dies doesn't it it's just so obvious because it's all about carrie it's not she wouldn't be heartbroken if samantha died that would just be another thing just like another string to her bow but big is you know big carrie storyline yeah I just thought that's exactly what they're doing. And it's clearly, that's what they've done. What they've done. So actually speaking of Samantha, how do we think they've handled 
Samantha's absence because it is con- she is very conspicuous by her absence. I mean, even in the first 10 minutes, they mention it. And like throughout, we've seen kind of like Carrie texting her, which just felt so fake, like Samantha texts oh. anybody. She, she's not a texter. She would call you. She would FaceTime an, you. She would FaceTime you. And uh, that the word go is when I started getting really angry. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> shouting at my screen. That really infuriated me because there's no way a woman who was loyal to every single one of those girls, even bitchy Charlotte who never had a nice thing to say to Samantha was always awful to her Samantha would support her Miranda who was always flipping whinging about something Samantha would support her (laughs) Carrie who I mean she literally even had to pull a diaphragm out of Carrie's vagina for Christ's sake she's that good a friend she's not gonna ghost you over something as trivial as oh I didn't want her to do my PR anymore I mean, come on. She wouldn't have cared. She wouldn't have cared. She'd have been like, okay, fine, let's go for cocktails. Who cares? You know, Mm. that character was never written to be in any way, shape or form malicious Mm. or or superficial. She actually is is the least superficial out of all four of those women. She's the most real. Absolutely, completely agree. And like, you know, Carrie was lucky to have her as a friend, really, I think. Because without her, like, yeah, like you said, like she got Carrie out of so many scrapes. And also, can I ask what PR Carrie was doing because like apart from that podcast which again we, we we're, we're going to come to you <laughs> I mean, we need to talk about that definitely oh my goodness clearly that didn't need any pr and like you know she's not even on instagram and all these kind of things and i was just like oh but in one way like for kim control i'm pleased because it sounds like she's dodged a bullet and you know the way and the stories of how she was treated and like you know i do imagine that there was like kind of like a real clique on set because um i know that um cynthia nixon uh, Kristen davies and uh, sarah jessica Parker were all friends prior to Sex and the City or they knew of each other from like the Broadway circuit they'd all done like theatre and they'd all done like films and you know similar kind of roles and uh, in a way Kim Cattrall was like the biggest star I think who came into the show because then obviously she'd done like Police Academy, Mannequin like she had more um it was kind of like Courtney Cox in Friends like you knew who she was before yeah. everybody else and although Sarah Jessica Parker was of the same kind of like famed ever she'd done Miami Rhapsody and his First Wives Club I think it was like maybe it was that whole kind of thing that uh Kim Cattrall shone a bit brighter and I think Sarah Jessica Parker probably never really liked that. Kim Cattrall is just a much better actress. There's no comparison between either of them in their performances. Sarah Jessica Parker is not a good actress. She never has been. All She's only ever played the same thing, which is, um, <laughs> as Carrie in Sex and the City, wiping, getting men to wipe food off her face or licking her lips. <laughs> Um, pressing her forehead against her head, being like, no, and then doing some strut down the street. That is Sarah Jessica Parker's acting. That's just it. Her acting class is just three moves. Kim Cattrall is far more subtle. She's got a lot of depth to her character. I mean, the way she played the cancer treatment through Sex and the City was magical. She yeah. did it so well, so believable. It took that magazine aspect of Sex and the City and she elevated it. Yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker's never done that. She's always been one note. Always yes. been one note. That is so very true. Like, you know, when you were saying the walking thing, uh, you, you, I think you've seen them as well, that all those TikToks of people doing carrying oh, yeah. walks. <laughs> <Just running. laughs> Amazing. <laughs> See how I cross the road now. I just break into a little jog and I'm like, why the hell am I doing that? I don't need I know, to. But, but that's all she does is this little strut. And you think, oh. And, but it's the thing. The acting in Sex and the City was never the thing that attracted you to it. Because let's face it, none apart Kim Cattrall was always brilliant. Always mm. expert actress. And some of the guest stars they got in were fantastic as well. But really, Cynthia Nixon was fine. She was just mm-hmm. fine. Uh, Miranda was a fairly understandable, you know, relatable character in a lot of ways. Probably the most relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlotte was just always horrendous ever since day <laughs> one. She's just been like a little Park Avenue princess that you do not want to. You cross the road if you saw her. Like, oh god, keep keep her away from me. Irritating. And Sarah Jessica Parker is just Sarah Jessica Parker. That's it. Yeah. Kim Cattrall was the actress of the four of them. That is true. That is so true. And like, you know, her absence was really missed. And a lot of people have said that they want to see a Samantha spin-off. And I'm so here for that because with the right writers, <laughs> like, you know, not with this writing room, but with somebody else, put that character in like, you know, another universe. And I think you just get a, an amazing show. Like even when they did the Carrie Diaries, which was really pa- universally panned and everyone was like, oh, the Carrie Diaries are terrible. 
um and like i've got a humble brag moment coming up so please you know get <laughs> brace yourselves um, i was at, <laughs> so I'd, i was really lucky um, when i was in new york in 2017 to go to um the premiere for the bold type i don't know if you've seen, heard of that show yes i have so i was really lucky to go to the first episode and uh, go to see a screening of it and afterwards when i was um at uh, the um uh, after party and uh, I got to speak to Joanna Coles like who was then like uh, working for Hearst like she said at Cosmopolitan and then I, I started talking to this woman and I was like and she was this woman just came up to me and just asked my opinion I was like so flattered I was like oh my god why is this woman talking to me there's all these amazing people around <laughs> and then um, she was like what did you think of it and I was like oh I thought it was the, I thought it was like the Carrie Diaries I said it was really kind of you know uh, Carrie Bradshaw uh, transported into here and now and it's like a very modern story and then the next day um i was quoted in women's wear daily no i never knew about this <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the screen grab afterwards yes! and I'll share it on social Dude. but i was quoted in the women's wear daily and like you know they were like kind of one uh part pa- person at the party opined it was like carrie but basically they made it seem like carrie diaries wasn't a great thing <laughs> but the point is carrie diaries was brilliant because it looked into carrie's or- origins and then it, they also, when they introduced Samantha, they found this amazing actress who looked, I, did you, I don't know if you've ever watched it. it Do you know, my... I haven't watched The Carrie Diaries. I'm ashamed to admit that. And I will actually watch it now. You've, you've reminded me of it. It's, it's re- it's re- it really is worth it. And especially the way that they uh, introduced Samantha. They went back to Samantha's early days. So like um, they, Carrie and Samantha actually meet when Carrie is trying to get into a club and she's underage and Samantha helps her in. And the the girl they got to play some sorry the actress rather they got to play Samantha was so incredible the way she got Kim Cattrall's mannerisms and all the you know the the way they did that that's what I was hoping we'd see and just like that it's kind of like a nice continue not continuation because obviously the characters have evolved since two thousand and four and we didn't of expect course. them to be exactly the same by the same token we did want them to be very much of the moment and like speaking of that I mean like we need to talk about Miranda because like (gasps) oh we need to talk about Miranda I mean I mean do you want to say the word the two words or shall I you do it (laughs) (laughs) it's your show shady as oh no it literally gives me a panic attack (laughs) even hearing those words I feel like I'm about to be ambushed like down an alleyway or something it's just horrifying Oh God. So why, why do you think it is like, what, what didn't you like about Che Diaz? Again, somebody, this is not from me. And I think someone put it astutely on, again, social media um, or Mm. in an article I read, someone said it's like Che Diaz was created by an sort of an evil conservative Republican Trump supporter (laughs) who wants to turn everyone against the non-binary LGBT trans movements. Mm. And I agree because I know so many brilliant people from the LGBT community of trans people who are not remotely like Che Diaz, who are getting on with their lives, doing amazing things. And Che Diaz was like the embodiment of what conservative people think trans people are or or non-binary people are, which is, you know, arrogant, self-obsessed, sort of throwing, making you sort of change your life for them sort of thing. Mm. There's so much I could go into here. Please continue before I'm just going on. <laughs> I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you finish. But <laughs> 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 oh goodness! No, do you know? I for me, I thought it was just such a missed opportunity because, uh, yeah. on the one hand, like you said, that this level of representation, this was a show that's in the zeitgeist. I mean, it's finished airing, and we're still talking about it. Um, and also, Sarah Ramirez is such an amazing actress. I loved her in yeah. Anatomy. And what she's great in everything. She was wasted in this. I mean, it's not her. It's not her fault. It's the way Che Diaz was written. Sorry, yeah. it's not that. I must go back on that. Sorry, can I say that again? It's yeah, not. It's not their fault. Apologies. It's not their fault. It's the way they were written. Agreed. Absolutely. And I I think it comes back to that crack that the writers were smoking because clearly they were like, oh, we're going to be woke. We're going to have a non-binary character. We're going to have this character, we're going to have this character. And what would, and you know, what was really kind of like disturbing (laughs) was like listening to that writer's podcast. They had people from various communities, representatives, like they had South Asian, a lot of South Asian people were involved um, at, at creative level. But then that didn't seem to filter through to the final product for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's because like Michael, like I said, the whole too many cooks analogy at the beginning, 
where everybody's like, oh, you know, you know, we should have a non-binary character. And she's a comedian and she gets a Netflix special and then she goes to L.A. And then and the whole way they kind of made um, Chady as this kind of um, catalyst for Miranda's change in the sense that like, you know, Miranda's like, I mean, there were some moments of Miranda, which I thought were done well and kind of harked back to the Miranda that we know and love you know she's bored in her marriage or she's bored by kind of like you mm. know suburban living the fact that she gave up her corporate job to go and study I mean that seems like a very Miranda thing to do yeah but then as soon as she went into that room and spoke to that professor and had that ridiculous moment or you know uh, the way she kind of and also her first meeting with um Che Diaz as well the way all of that was handled it was just so clumsy I just you know it really, Rambo Rambo oh god <laughs> uh, then, no I agree Agree, but, but surely we've got to stand Che Diaz for that wonderful finger scene, which, like I said, it fingered everybody's. <laughs> Did you see the the, the, the um, just was it just giving or the the Kickstarter f- to help Steve learn how to finger Miranda correctly? <laughs> like, let's help Steve finger his wife properly. I, I'm that scene was hilarious. I think the thing was, I kind of felt really bad for Sarah Ramirez throughout the whole thing because they were very pigeonholed straight away as this is the character that is going to break up Miranda's marriage. Whereas obviously there were clearly issues before now. Why Miranda had issues with Steve, I don't know. I don't even know what was going on with Steve. This is not the Steve we know and love in this series. I don't know what this character was. But I can understand why Miranda would be feeling a bit like, oh, wow, I feel like I'm 85 years old and I'm only in my 50s. You know, 50 now is the new 40. It is. You're much younger. And hopefully people do live a lot longer. So we're all going to be much younger as we get older than than previous generations were. We have got more youth and vitality. There's no way a 54-year-old man who was like throwing Miranda around a bedroom 10 years ago is suddenly an OAP on a sofa. I don't believe it. Absolutely. And also the other thing as well is like, even if he is that, he was always really cool about letting Miranda do her own thing. Because the character of Miranda, she she wouldn't give a damn if like, you know, if he wanted to sit yeah. up on the sofa, she'd be like, all right, well, you have fun. I'm going out. Like, you know, exactly the, the way that they kind of made her, they, it was almost like domesticated her is in the sense that, oh, you know, this falls into that trope of like, you know, the bored married couple. And like Miranda was never that like her, like even, I mean, in the final episode of the series, series six, when she invited her mother-in-law to come and live with her. And remember when Magda's like, you yeah. know, that was a real moment of change. It showed like, that's how progressive Miranda was. Like she was always open to new opportunities and new ways of thinking. But this Miranda that they've created now, oh. and, and you know, and it was quite annoying because Cynthia Nixon was like, oh, well, if you wanted the old Miranda, go and watch the reruns. And it's like, no bitch, we want to watch you in the revival. And we want to see what you're like in today's age where, you know, like what you know, what the sensible thing would have been to do would be to cut Carrie out of it. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> Charlotte, Miranda, and um, Samantha probably would have been the trio who stopped talking to Carrie because, like, she's like you know, so inappropriate and you know, cancelable. I didn't believe a single moment of Miranda in this series. Now, Miranda was always the one in Sex and the City who was very, very relatable. She had all of these idiosyncrasies. She had these sort of um, these flaws which made her very, very real and vulnerable, more so than Carrie. Carrie just got, you know, I love her clothes. I love her men. I love her everything about what she does. But Carrie is a very irritating character, whereas Miranda never was. Miranda was always somebody that, a bit like when I watch Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm, especially the older I get, I'm like, I understand everything that's pissing him off right now. And I used to feel like that about Miranda. Hmm. This is not Miranda. This isn't a progression. This is a, she's, she's degressed. She's basically, she's regressed. She's become... And a, a very one-dimensional um, it, sort of character that is supposed to be what embodying all of the cringe wokeness that is around <laughs> currently. And it, I didn't believe a word of it. I, I do believe, of course, that mm. women will get to a certain point in their lives and look at their marriages and look at what they've done and go, actually, this isn't what I want mm. and may want to break out of that. Totally relatable. Mm. Very relatable that you could fall in love with somebody from a gender that you were never attracted to before. Mm. Very rela- mm. That can happen at any point. Yeah. With Miranda, the problem was Miranda did like a lot of dick. 
She really did. <laughs> so it's not just like she just had a few boyfriends and settled down. I mean, she re- she experimented. She knew what she went for. And yes, yeah. you can you can fall in love with people and be swayed. I didn't believe the chemistry between Miranda and Che. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe the attraction or why Miranda would see something in them that would make her want to, to launch herself after this person. Mm-hmm. Um, she suddenly went from being very headstrong, very intelligent to being a complete absolute mess, not knowing how to, to conduct herself in any social situation. It was, and the drinking thing suddenly disappeared. Oh God. Oh my God. That you was brought in. But that was brought in. And that, again, could be something very relatable. People, when they're not happy, can lean on alcohol or drugs Mm. or prescription drugs or anything. And yes, the fact she lent on alcohol, you could relate to that. That that could have been something they could have really found some interesting vulnerability. But suddenly, she she meets Che and boom, the drinking's fine. Yeah, it just stops. No, (laughs) that would be nice if that's how life worked. It isn't. Life is not an A storyline and a B storyline. No. <laughs> like, you know. Oh, oh god, I could talk about Miranda and her rid- ridiculous character change all day. So. I know it's ridiculous. So do you know, I think what we'll like conclude our Miranda segment on is with justice for Steve. I mean, Steve justice deserves Steve. better. And then the whole thing. Do you know when um, Steve and Carrie? Oh, oh my god, that you know she's like painting and she steps in those ridiculous heels. I mean, I'm all white yeah. for dressing impractically, but come on, um, that was taking it too far. Oh, that was just so silly and the fantasy moment of it all. But the whole thing, you know, when people were like, oh, Carrie and Steve should get together. I was like, absolutely not. Good like, Lord, no. They're yeah. not a couple. <laughs> and Steve, <laughs> the thing about Steve is that Steve, ever since he met her, has only loved Miranda. And that is heartbreaking as much as it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, you know, he did. And that's, you can meet your one person and they are the person for you. And that's that's him for Miranda. And for Carrie, in most regards, it was big. So they're two people who've just had their heart broken in different ways, mm. connecting, but it doesn't mean it has to be romantic. I, I, to be honest, that, that pissed me off because Carrie's selfishness during that whole scene when he's heartbroken that Miranda is leaving him for Che fucking Diaz mm. and she's just going on about her bloody ring. And oh, makes him fix God. it all. Oh, that annoyed me. And also, it just annoyed me that she wore the ring there. Like, I would never take something no. of sentimental value with me to when I'm going. You know, if I know I'm going to go and paint and do something practical, like if I'm going mountain climbing, I'm not going to take my you know my valuables with me. I mean, put I, it I, on I, a chain around your neck. I mean, she did that with Aiden's bloody engagement ring often enough, didn't she? Put it oh. on a chain around your neck. Mm, it's just like ridiculous, honestly. But yeah, I mean, speaking of ridiculous, let's talk about Charlotte. I mean, oh, I feel like this whole theme, like this podcast is just, because basically this is our conversations in the DMs, isn't it? This is what we were doing on every episode. <laughs> oh, one thing we didn't quickly mention, just we mm. had to go back to Miranda, the wigs. What was going oh, on? yes. Oh my God, the wigs. Sorry. <laughs> the wigs. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Oh, they were so bad. Oh, so bad. I was just looking at them like, wait, I was waiting for them and wishing for them to fall off. Like, please fall. It's just terrible. And they got weirder and weirder. Anyway, sorry, Miranda and her wigs. I just wish she'd just stayed with her natural hair. I mean, I don't understand why they felt the need to put her in a wig. And then, you know, when they talked about the whole, um, oh, you're now grey haired and, you you know, you should dye your hair red again. I thought, again, see, it just seems this whole series was like a, a bunch of missed opportunities. There were so many things that they could have elaborated on because the thing about graying hair like I remember at the start of the pandemic when I stopped dyeing my hair because it was just kind of like you know well I I actually stopped dyeing it a bit before but my Mm. mum stopped dyeing her hair like before you know when the pandemic started because it was like well what's the point and now she's gone to and so many other people did that as well where they were just like you know I can't be bothered to dye my hair anymore and they've stopped dyeing their hair entirely and I think that was that was the way that the old show would have hit the zeitgeist or hit kind of like a, a moment of yeah. truth where we'd all be like oh yeah we're like that as well like you know we've stopped dyeing our hair too but the way again this was handled was almost like it was ugh, like the whole conversation you know and also it's, it's not something Miranda would get upset about I don't feel but... no I, but to be honest this didn't feel like Miranda you know I hate to say it and I hate to sound like one of those people on you know twitter or dailymail.com but it did <laughs> it did just feel like 
that Miranda, that Cynthia Nixon wanted to get a lot of her own personal life and experiences because she went through exactly what Miranda's gone through. She mm. went through, she fell in love with, you know, with a, with a woman. Mm. Um, obviously, Che Diaz isn't a woman. She's non-binary. They are non-binary, sorry. Mm-hmm. But um, Miranda, uh, Cynthia Nixon did. And so she went through that experience and it's now been replicated in, in and just like that. And it just felt like so much of her life going into it, it didn't feel like Miranda anymore. And I think you do need to, though characters need to move on and they do have it have new new sort of relationships in their life and they might change sexuality and all sorts of things that's absolutely fine but it can't mirror your own life you can't sandwich everything that you you're happy about about yourself into your character that maybe you weren't happy about in sex in the city absolutely and especially a character that was so loved and you know really kind of respected in the lexicon and also like just like you said even though it was of its time like Miranda at that time was such a a refreshing voice like we just didn't hear voices like Samantha and Miranda like and when I watch the old episodes now and I'm like that isn't like I didn't realize that's where I picked that up from or that's where I learned this or that's got me thinking about something that I previously wouldn't have thought of and yeah. yeah and watching Anne just like that that didn't happen for me I felt like also no. with like with Charlotte as well and you know the way she handles uh Rock's uh tra- you know uh, journey oh. from you know to identifying as non-binary I it was just like in one way again it, it was a missed opportunity because it was really interesting it was almost like the boomer reaction to things going on in today's society and I think if they had positioned the entire series in that way it would have been far more interesting and have more depth than it actually did. Because it wanted, it kind of simultaneously wanted to be like, oh, look what the kids are doing today. And we don't get it as bo- like boomers. Obviously, you and I are not boomers. So but no. I, I say they, them, the boomers. Um, the boomers were like, oh, we don't know what's going on in society today. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to try and be hip and down with the kids. And it was like, if they just stuck with the, actually, look, we don't get what's going on. And we're viewing it through that prism. I think that would have been such an interesting way to kind of proceed and be the lens for the show. Because in that way, you would have bridged the gap between the films and the and and just like that. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think coming, that's a good way to segue into Charlotte, because that, what was going on with Charlotte in this series was horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Both on screen on her face everything was just terrifying about charlotte in this series so in terms of i mean like you 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 fingered that nerve um (laughs) (laughs) you chady as that nerve girl Um, chady as that nerve good babe that's a really good segue actually into charlotte or the problem with charlotte which was evident throughout everything that happened (laughs) in this series from from everything to do with her appearance, obviously, to do with her characterization, her marriage with Harry, how she treats her her children. It's just crazy. It was. And again, like we always knew that she was very much, you know, she wanted that Park Lane fantasy. She wanted the perfect house, the perfect apartment, perfect dress and everything to kind of be, to kind of fall into these certain tropes. But the way they, I don't know, they didn't, the writers didn't kind of give her that depth or you know, again, once again, if they kind of portrayed it as, look, she's going through this identity crisis or, you know, the world that she's worked so hard to create is kind of not panning out as she wants it to, it would have been so much more interesting. Like, but instead there was more like a pastiche. And I think it's really interesting as well that Miranda and Charlotte both had these instances where, um, so Miranda with uh, her professor and then Charlotte with, um, (laughs) as what Anthony calls Black Charlotte, which I love, (laughs) ALT. But do you remember when she went to the house and like they're talking about the artwork and she mistakes um, somebody else for being someone else? And I was just like, oh, my God, like what? I think yeah. it's interesting that Miranda and Charlotte both got picked to kind of have those kind of scenes, whereas Carrie doesn't have, seem to have any of those problems. Not to, oh no, Car- uh, Carrie manages to glide through this series remarkably well compared to the other characters, and it's almost as if Sarah Jessica Parker had a say in it. <laughs> what are you saying? Are you saying that she was an executive producer and she was at the writer's <laughs> table and had final say on scripts? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't like to insinuate that at all, that she got everything she wanted and let everybody else do the ridiculous stuff. Not saying that at all. 
I mean, because we might as well move on to because this is exactly what Carrie would do. Carrie would be really selfish and take over the conversation. So let's go to Carrie. I mean, <laughs> we'll come back to Charlotte. <laughs> we'll come back to Charlotte exactly. Um, but when Carrie, do you remember there was that scene where they asked her what's the worst breakup that she's ever been through? And everybody, the world, in unison was like the post-it and burger. She comes out with, oh, death, my husband's death. And it's like, oh, my God, what is the matter with you? Like, literally, bitch, that, that doesn't, that's not even relevant. That's not even, it doesn't even work in the context of what she was asking. It's about a breakup. You can't call death a breakup. It's, it's just so... You can't. Death is a tragedy. It's not, it's, he didn't break up with you. He didn't die just so he didn't have to be with you anymore. I mean, I wouldn't have blamed him, quite frankly, but... <laughs> That's it's a different thing with a the post everyone was waiting for the post-it i was like tantalized like oh please bring the post-it story in bring burger in just for one brief last hurrah but no mm, no absolutely and then oh it was just, just it just drew me and I, I loved it when um anthony was like saying do you remember when she kept saying um oh my husband died and he's like you only get to use that one more time <laughs> but i mean anthony's just he's just he's the, the the sanity in that series he's the sanity checker we need anthony without anthony honestly without anthony and Seema, who i hope we will talk about in a bit mm-hmm. i i don't think i could have carried on with it I completely agree and before we talk about anthony and Seema, we must mention stanford uh, which was so oh. sad that he passed like um, because uh, again listening to the writer's room he had a much bigger he was meant to be in every single episode and he had a lot more to do and Carrie's storyline again was a, a kind of but then it, what really kind of disturbed me was like when they were talking in the writers podcast um that you know it happened very suddenly and it was very sad but the way they kind of dealt with it on the show with that one scene like oh he's just gone to Japan to go and man, talent manage somebody was it Japan or Korea no sorry pardon me Korea he's gone to Korea uh to talent manage like a TikTok star the way they kind of brought that out of the blue and they were like oh that was a very fitting tribute and I was like no that wasn't a fitting tribute at all not remotely. I thought it was appalling. Mm. It was so, I thought it was really distasteful because, again, the way that, that Samantha's character was dealt with, you know, that she was, she would be so superficial that she would give up on a friendship with not only Carrie, with, with Miranda and Charlotte as well, after everything they've been through, just neglect all of them, not speak to any of them, mm. particularly with, with Carrie. And then to do that to Stanford, that his marriage to Anthony, which was completely off left field, but somehow worked in the fact that they had that love hate thing from the word go mm. that, that, you know, he was just, he'd leaving Anthony. He was just leaving him after that huge elaborate wedding, just leaving him and going off and not speaking to anyone again and leaving Carrie a letter. Yeah. No, it would have been better, honestly, if they'd had to go down that route that they would have acknowledged Stanford, obviously with Willie Garson's death. Mm. And they, could have maybe done the same with Samantha, yeah. given her a dignified ending. But no, they didn't. There was no dignity, and two beloved characters were given no dignity. Exactly. It's just so the way and the way it was done. But the, the scary thing is, the writers think they did a great job on it, and it's like, uh, no, you didn't, because uh, we just look at Twitter, babe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just look at Twitter. Not even Twitter. You just need to watch the episode, and you just think to yourself, you, even if you watch it, kind of like you know, um, subjectively, no, objectively rather, and you're like not looking for any holes or critiques. You st- it's still there. It still doesn't make sense. Also, you just made me think of um, something uh, that made me laugh. Um, yeah, Samantha isn't talking to Carrie, but why don't Charlotte or Miranda call her? Exactly. Because she's still talking to them. Sense. Like, well, surely. I mean... <laughs> You think she given up on everybody? Those the four friend, the four women. Their friendship was so so um, strong. Mm. You don't give up on three friends like that over a bloody PR job. And you just don't. like that. <laughs> and just like that, fuck off. Exactly. And also, if big so rich, you can fly carry out to London. Exactly. Oh, it's just it was all absolute hokum. It was so badly done. It was like though, to be honest, from the word go, the writers weren't at all um concerned with what had come before. Mm. They didn't want to honour that in any way, shape or form. They came in with their full on agenda, which was we need to make sure that we sandwich all of these things. Have we ticked off all of these lists? Mm. Have we acknowledged all of these quotas? Have we hit all of the agenda? But yet the joke was they hadn't. Yeah. I, I never I didn't find anything about and just like that inclusive. 
In fact, I found it. It was right away from the word go. There's us in Sex and the City and there's the other people. And we just happened to be cohabiting the screen at the same time. That's what it felt like. Mm. There was nothing natural about it. It was actually horrible. I thought it was quite um, quite patronising. Yeah, tokenistic and yeah. Yeah, tokenistic, that's the fitting. And what's really sad as well is it's from HBO and HBO really are known to kind of like push the envelope and they've really given us some amazing dramas. So you do wonder where was the HBO influence in all of this? You know, we were hoping for a lot more than there actually was. But um, speaking of, do you know, well, for balance, because like we are, you know, we are Sex and City people. <laughs> um, we are. Let's talk about things that we did actually like. So let's, I think now we can talk about the fun things like Seema and Anthony. So let's start with Seema. I mean, how incredible is Seema? She was the light. Her and Anthony both were the light in the darkness of And Just Like That. She just, the second she appeared on screen, I thought, now that's Sex and City. Mm-hmm. She is a, a Sex and City character through and through. Glamorous, intelligent, beautiful, r- successful, but she has that vulnerability. She has things about her that people can relate to about the fact she has to hide her single status from her parents. Mm-hmm. They're expecting something from her that she's not able to bring, that she really wants love. All of it relatable for you know, a woman in her 50s. I think it's amazing for other women in their 50s and 60s, younger women even, to see this character. Yeah, she's so inspirational. She really, um, she feels like she'd be more friends with Samantha than um, Carrie to be honest like she's just that kick-ass coolness also can we just give a shout out to Madda Jeffrey playing her mum like Madda Jeffrey if you don't know who oh, she yeah. is go and google her she is like Mary Berry tier she is just incredible like goddess like we just love her to bits love her and the fact that the the um, bellboy waiter from the series where Samantha was dumped is mm. now the dad in this I love that because I was like I know him I know him I know him and then you told me yeah. <laughs> you worked it out <laughs> I mean this is the great thing I mean like Instagram Twitter, social media was the kind of silent fourth or you know, 25th writer in this whole kind of writer's room. But <laughs> that, it was amazing because, like, the fact this is it just shows you the show had such an amazing legacy that we were like the fact that we are able to recall anecdotes like we lived them ourselves because we've seen the reruns so many times. And like, it just seemed the show was so disrespectful of all of that and just kind of like, oh, yeah, well, you love mm-hmm. the show, great, go watch the reruns and fill up our residuals. But we're going to do this now because we just can't be fucked to do anything else. <laughs> yeah, well, we. We have our own thing. This is the show that we want to watch. Well, nobody else wants to watch it. Mm. Sorry, but they. Be, I, I know to, so many people actually who told me that they stopped after three or four episodes. It was only a small exclusive group of real sort of Sex and City hard nuts who carried mm. on with it. This is exactly it. And like, and like we were saying at the top of the podcast as well, so many people had an emotional reaction. Like you, I was mm. speaking to people who I've never met before and people who I do know really well. And I'd say, oh, are you watching the show? And everybody would <laughs> go into like a five, 10 minute diatribe or fill up the DMs, <laughs> like kind of like with messaging, you know, typing, typing. And it's like, oh my God, you've got a lot to say on this. You've got so much <laughs> to talk about. It was, but you know, speaking of SEMA, it was really funny because there was the whole thing that. about um, when Carrie, so this is something we discussed as well, when Carrie dressed up in a lenga. So the lenga is the mm. um, Indian, well, the South Asian outfit that she wore. So it's like a kind of crop top and long skirt and uh, you know, flowers in her hair. And then uh, they kept calling it a sari, which it wasn't, because a sari is like uh, 12, is it 12 yards? I think it's 12 yards or 12 yards of fabric or six yards of fabric, which you wrap around, but it's a continuous piece of fabric. What she was wearing was like a lenga, but the fact that they kept on banging on about, oh, my sari is so beautiful. And like, you know, I was like, oh my God, this was directed by a South Asian director. Um, There's South Asian presence in the writer's room and elsewhere. When I was listening to the writer's podcast, I was like, did nobody think to actually say, look, she's not wearing, and I know it sounds like a little thing, but when you're kind of presenting some a minority in this kind of field on such a level so it's the same way like you know in the same way that we were talking about like the non-binary community and others when you're when you're presenting something that the mainstream that's not really in the mainstream for the like in this way you want to get it right and it just feels like they just mm. didn't care they were more i remember when i was listening to the writers room podcast and like uh mpk michael patrick king was like um my friend celebrated diwali and diwali is amazing it's all about light and i was like this is amazing the festival of diwali and i was like what is diwali is that robert duval's brother or something it's, like, <laughs> you know, it's diwali <laughs> like what is diwali and he's like oh they like the candles and it's really cute and I was like 
this is how Kari is coming out of the darkness. And then he even related it like to one of the Hindu epics, you know, which kind of Diwali is, the, what Diwali is based on, coming out of the darkness into the light. And he's like, Carrie's in the dark and she comes out into the light. And I thought that was just such a beautiful moment. And I think I shared like an article afterwards on social media talking about how like South Asian, brown people are not your, your, your like saviors. We're not here to kind of like lead you from the darkness <laughs> to the light. Exactly. Got your own shit to be dealing with. You don't need to be worrying exactly. about the rest of us. Patriarchal pride. We've got patriarchy, we've got racism, we've got so much to handle. Please don't put this, you know, we can't be saving your souls as well. Like, we ain't got time for that. And that's the issue that I think I still feel with these writers is that, and as you said, that even with the South Asian presence Mm. in in the writer's room and in the directing room, because there was this preoccupation with writing the wrongs of Sex and the City, they were ignoring the wrongs they were creating in this one. So there was so much cultural appropriation in And Just Like That because they weren't focusing so much on cultural appropriation. They were focusing on um, obviously things like sort of uh, LGBT representation and diversity, which is great, but they were handling it in a way which was almost like, shit, we know we did wrong. That's all bad. This is evil. Burn sex in the city. This is our new thing that you should only watch now. And it, they still made a ton of mistakes, a ton of inappropriate mistakes, because they weren't focused on them. They were focused on something else. And it was just like the elephant in the room <laughs> constantly. Oh, it's just, it was risible. The whole thing was risible. I'm risible. sorry. Oh, they really but apart from out. Seema. Seema and Anthony and some of the outfits. Oh, actually, can we also talk about another, for me, Hmm. brief moment she was in, Little Shining Light, was Rabbi Jen. Yes. I loved that. I loved Rabbi Jen. I want a series of Seema, Anthony and Rabbi Jen solving crimes with Samantha being like the head of the crime agency. I want this. I want this. And I want ALT in there as well. Oh, can we, yeah, because my next question to you was um, series two, (laughs) go. (laughs) What do you think? the, the thing is, at this point, it's always interesting um, when, to see how well a show is really done when how quickly they renew something. And mm. normally it's speedy. If this had done well, this would have been renewed halfway through and mm. just like that. It would have been already greenlit or they would have saved it till, you know, the last day, the last episode um, release date mm. of, yes, we've but it's all quiet on the Western Front. Yes, that's very, it's very interesting, isn't it, that there's not been that announcement and like you know hbo apparently are very happy because the viewership figures have been very high um it's it's part of the conversation it's still ongoing like even though the show ended two weeks ago people are still talking about this still press being generated for it so and you know um sarah jessica parker was on um watch what happens live with andy recently as well and she was kind of so i think you're right there's there's something's going on in you know i I still think they're trying to get king control back into it and like they shouldn't bother because she she's not going to come back she's too good for it she's it silence is golden the fact that she didn't say a word about anything she didn't slate anybody ever since her her moment obviously understandable after her brother's death Mm. she did emotions running high you can understand why things might spill over but she's been really dignified sarah jessica parker the complete opposite she cannot stop banging on about kim control and samantha i think what she said recently though she said the other day didn't she or last week in an interview of no i don't think it would work i don't think i would want samantha to come back him to come back mm. too much has happened i'm like bitch she doesn't want to come back <laughs> she said it fifty thousand times like it's like you're saying to somebody oh um i'm not coming to your party and then they're like oh you're not invited well but you already invited me i'm handing back the invitation well you're not invited now yeah Yeah, but i've already said i don't want to come (laughs) thank you for the invite well you're not invited now that is exactly what sarah she's so petulant sorry she is that totally comes across there is this kind of like mean girl thing going on here Mm -hmm. and i think yeah it's good on kim control for like you know not giving into it and like standing up for herself i think that's more inspirational than anything so, um, like, yeah, unless they offer her, her Samantha spin-off, which we would love to see, done correctly, obviously. yeah, With then, Anthony and Seema. Exactly. <laughs> and Rabbi Jen. And Rabbi Jen, then it's not going to happen. Oh, goodness me. All right, well, listen, I'm going to take it to the bridge now. So pray silence for the bridge, please. <laughs> Whether you enjoyed the series or were left as perplexed as we were, there is no denying and just like that succeeded at placing itself at the heart of many conversations and the zeitgeist. Maybe we should all follow Cynthia Nixon's advice and stick to re-watching the old series if we don't want the memory of it to be tarnished. No doubt if this nonsense continues we may just have to. Right anyway Eliza I want to take you over to the green room so regular listeners of the podcast in mind will know about the OnlyFans lounge but um, Eliza's very classy so she doesn't do OnlyFans lounge so we've set up the green room for you. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> to, come, to come in and talk to you so just get your drink and like you know let's 
clink glasses. It's a shame, really, isn't it? Because we were really, really looking forward to this series and we wanted it to do well so, so much. Like this should have been an appreciation podcast and instead it's turned yep. into like writer's kind of <laughs> writer's roundtable. It has. And I feel I feel awful because even though I was I was really miffed that Kim Cattrall wasn't coming back and I was miffed that I knew that Sarah Jessica Parker was the reason behind it. I still wanted to support this because I just grew up loving Sex and the City. I was, you know, always, always watching it and I've watched it repeatedly over the years. It's one of those things that if you're, you've got the flu or you're feeling a bit down or you're just, you know, you're having a, a Sunday in, you put it on and it doesn't matter how many times you watch it, you, it doesn't, you don't get sick of it. And in a weird way, though people say it's dated, it hasn't. People are still watching it now. People younger than us are starting to discover it. People in their teens are discovering mm. it. So all these things about it needed to be updated. It was out of date. It was, you know, really behind the times. Well, people are still watching it and enjoying it. So how out of date is it really? Yes, there are, of course, issues that need to be addressed. That's all they needed to do was address those few issues, tie up a few loose ends and continue the journey but they just smashed it with a hammer. They, they've gone on this complete detour. And like I said, like instead of going straight ahead where the sat-nav is telling them to go, they've done a U-turn and gone completely the opposite direction, which is such a Over shame. A cliff. <laughs> exactly. Can I just add as well that we are both 21 years old. So you yep. know, when you're saying people younger than us, you were referring obviously to like, you know, Gen Z who are just, you know, we are Gen Z, obviously. We're obviously 21. Yeah, like 15 year olds I'm talking about, yeah, like 12 year olds who are just discovering it. Exactly. Yeah. We're 21. Well, actually I am because I know some 12, 13, 14 year olds who are watching it. <laughs> So that's actually true. <laughs> we're, we're 21 plus V18. That's who we are. <laughs> just a little bit of V18. Exactly. But no, I think you've, in, you've perfectly summed it up. That is exactly how we felt. We were, we were rooting for you and just like that. And you just shat on our faces, really. So yeah. that's really, really sad. So, I mean, if there is a series two, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. But um, who knows? I'll watch it. I'm a masochist. I will, I will watch it. I mean, I didn't want to watch any after about episode two of mm. And Just Like That. I didn't enjoy watching it. It was a struggle, but mm. I did it because it's still Sex and the City to me. The characters are still vaguely there. There's tiny little, little remnants of them somewhere yeah. hidden away. Yeah, it was for old time's sake. We had to like, we had to get through to the end. And we did. Eliza, thank you so, so much for being a guest. I mean, we are definitely going to chat about more stuff again. I'm, I'm going to invite you back. I need you to come back because we need, there's so many other programs and shows that I want to talk to you about now. Um, that's oh, so I cool. would love that. Thank but, you uh, for having me. I love your show. The podcast is mine. It's flipping genius. Oh, thank you, darling. And we love it. So tell people a bit more about the Witchery podcast. Tell them where they where we can find you and tell us where we can follow you on socials. Uh, well, we're on everything mm-hmm. uh, at the moment. So you can always just type in the Witchery podcast and you'll find us on all of the platforms forms we're we're everywhere uh we are on uh twitter at podcast witchery and instagram at the witchery podcast perfect and we're going to put that all in the show notes and it's going to be on the podcast of mind socials as well yeah so eliza thank you so so much for joining me and until next time it's hbo xo we hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast of mind don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast and share it with a friend you can also follow us on all the socials on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. We are The Podcast Is Mine. And on Twitter, we are Podcast Is Mine. Or you can email us at thepodcastismine at gmail.com. Oh, and one more thing The Podcast Is Mine.